morning and welcome to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Arye Lightstone. You can listen to us on jmintheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street here in New York City. Uh, very excited today for a show that promises to uh, introduce us to two uh, cutting-edge entrepreneurial innovators, uh, founders of their own companies, uh, pushing the envelope uh, in terms of technology in an industry that traditionally has been um, fairly staid and consistent, and seeing an opportunity to see really disruption at its best and disruption not at all in a negative way, but disruption very much in a positive, uh, engaging, enlightening, creative way. Uh, before we get our first guest onto the show, I uh, wanted just to make a comment. I know here on Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network, uh, we make best efforts to try to tie together when possible uh, the connection to Israel, the connection to technology, the connection to creativity, the connection to entrepreneurialism. And I know that... Uh, this past week on the Spin Class, which is a show, if you don't listen, uh, you ought to. It's a, it's a phenomenal show, um, hosted by Michael Fragan, talking about politics, uh, everything that you need to know in, uh, in a short 60 minute, uh, burst. What we try to bring to you here about entrepreneurialism and technology here on Tech Talk, Michael does on the Spin Class. But anyways, uh, Michael had on a couple of guests talking about the RJC, the Republican Jewish Coalition event in Vegas now eight days ago, and uh, and uh, Chris Christie faux pas, if you will, and all of the hullabaloo that emanated from the, what they call the Sheldon primary or the Adelson primary. Uh, so one of the comments that uh, that uh, that I wanted to make based upon the weekend at the RJC convention was that there was a distinct flavor of positivity. What do I mean by that? That there was a, a incredible interest and excitement uh, in the innovation that's happening in Israel. And one of the responses, I believe John Bolton said this in his comment, and if it wasn't him, it was certainly Ron Dermer, the new ambassador from Israel to America, and I know that John Medved, who's been a guest on our show before, uh, echoed this comment as well, but the, the ultimate antidote uh, to BDS, the boycott divestment um, movement, especially on the college campuses, the, the ultimate uh, answer to that is to buy Israel, to invest in Israel. And we're not talking about Israeli bonds, but we're talking about finding the startups and finding the industries and finding the creativity to foster them. And it's not an investment that really is cloaked as charity. It's an investment that should repay uh, many, many times over. And that's... Uh, uh, really something that I took away from the convention in Vegas, uh, that and the ridiculousness that is Las Vegas, but, uh, but that, that, uh, we can talk and we can wring our hands and say, what can we do about the BDS movement? So the answer is pretty clear. The answer is pretty stark. The answer is pretty obvious. Invest, invest, invest. Uh, not again because it's charity, but invest because you'll get a return. The state of Israel will get a return. The Jewish people will get a return. Okay. Um, so that was that was our comment, our, our connection, if you will, in between uh, our show here on Tech Talk and, and what's going on in Israel, and really wanted to welcome uh, a guest uh, on the show, uh, Nis Fromm. Good morning. Are you there? Good morning. I'm here. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for coming on the show. Just an introduction to our audience. Nis is a full stack marketer with an obsession for UI and UX and growth hacking. Um, these are things that we're going to have to get an explanation in terms of what they are. He's an award-winning sure. web and app developer, and having seen his portfolio, I, I can it's not a guess in terms of why he's award-winning, and is currently the COO of Hublished, a webinar marketing technology company he co-founded as a junior at Rutgers University. What is Hublished? Hublished is a service that seamlessly plugs into a marketer's existing infrastructure, centralizing and publishing their upcoming and recorded webinar content into interactive and engaging libraries. So I've given the audience a tremendous amount in a seven-second promo in terms of who NIS is. NIS, good morning and welcome. You know, tell us a little bit about um, your background. Tell us a little bit about how you got into what you're doing. Sure. Uh, Thank you for the introduction, by the way. So my background, believe it or not, is actually in writing. Uh, that's, okay. that's really my passion. I like to write as much as possible. Uh, and I actually started in high school, uh, was writing for the school paper that went to print, let's say, uh, once a month or so. And I really wanted to write more often. So what I did was, uh, with some of my best friends, I started a website uh, at Frisch High School called Frisch Off the Press that let us uh, publish pretty much everyday articles to the website and that's really how I started my career. From there, I built a web design company, got into marketing, and then eventually built Published. First of all, I love the name, Frisch Off the Press. I think that's really clever. Um, secondly, uh, what, what grade were you in when you sort of got into that? Uh, that was my junior year in high school, so I was uh, 16, 17. Okay, so so junior year of stuff seems to be when you peak as a uh, as a uh, as a founder of various different things. Uh, just just walking through because I know that the audience is certainly curious about this. When you, your passion was to write. You were looking for a outlet to do that. Um, mm-hmm. The paper wasn't giving you enough of an outlet, so instantaneously you wanted to to have the opportunity. And online certainly provided that. How? How much, and I guess this is, you know, a, a foundational question, how much of the technology component of, uh, Frisch Off the Press was a technology sort of investment in time and learning that versus how much of oh, this, every, every high school kid knows how to do this it was just a question of rolling up their sleeves and putting in the effort from a technology perspective, not the writing. Uh, that's, that's actually a really interesting question. So it began almost entirely as writing. You know, the, the technology that was there to support writing and writing was the core uh, I would say, strategic uh, move there, and the technology, we just found something that worked. Uh, however, what what really started to m- move the ball more into a technology sort of role was that uh, we started filming the uh, sports games at the high school, and people would tune in to watch live and to watch the recordings on the website, and that's, I think, when it began to shift. And that's when we began to get contacted to actually build websites. This was at the height of the recession, so a lot of businesses kind of cut short any tech projects they were working on, and we were contacted by a lot of small businesses that wanted websites, and that's kind of what shifted us more into technology from writing. Uh, so this is interesting. So you, I, I mean, I've watched now the, I mean, the Sarah Check tournament, etc. But but w- you know, watching the various different tournaments, were you one of the first groups to to be doing online broadcasting? Yeah, so not not live broadcasting, but we would do recaps of the games and do the highlights, and I think we were one of the first to do that. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't even know that still exi- that, that that existed. That's a really cool concept. Okay. Yeah. So as you guys got into that, by your name and reputation getting out there, so small businesses started contacting you in high school? Yeah. 
yeah. And, and, and how did I mean, you it, set it, up? Was it, it a formal business or you were consulting? How does that work? Yeah, no, we set up an LLC. We were 17. We went into the uh, trade office, created a name. Uh, I think we were too young. I think we had to say we were 18 or something, but we did it, <laughs> and we, we ran that for three years. Okay, and you ran that for three years, and 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 there you learned from – it's funny because I see now a theme in terms of what, what you put together um, and how that uh, and how that sort of evolved into what you're doing now. So, so as I can see, because I'm looking at this in front of me on the website, sort of walk the audience through the na- the the narrative. How you go from a junior in high school, originally wanting to, you know, do more writing, uh, get into doing small business websites, and then you went away to college. How, how does that work? What happened? Yeah, <laughs> so it's a little bit of a odd journey here but yeah i i wanted to be a journalist for the longest time i had actually applied to schools for for their journalism programs uh and what happened was after fresh off the press or while really running fresh off the press we started this web design company called take it worldwide uh we were building websites again i wasn't uh, an engineer at the time so i was working with my best friend who actually was the web designer and i would just kind of bring in the clients and then pass them along okay but we found after we built let's say, five to ten sites in the first year, uh, all of our clients said, okay, great, you built us a website, but where's the traffic? So uh-huh. I realized that I could use a lot of the skills from journalism and apply them to marketing, and that's what we did. So I started watching webinars, learning marketing, kind of surrounding myself with that industry, and we expanded our services into marketing. So, yeah, I went to school. Uh, I, went, I, I attended Brandeis University for my first year before switching to Rutgers, Okay. And we ran we ran the company out of our dorm rooms uh, until we got to the point that it was uh, probably too large for our own good. We definitely could not manage what we were doing at that time. Too young for sure, which which again has been you know one of the greatest learning experiences. Always always you know bite off more than you can chew when you're at that age. You don't have that much to lose. Okay. So yeah, so we did that, and eventually we came up with this technology uh, during that process called Hublished, and we spun it out into a startup. Okay, good. So, so you, you, you start out, I don't know if you've seen the commercial on recently, but it, it, there's a commercial that at least I saw maybe yesterday that had, uh, uh, you know, all the things that started in, in American garages. Uh, so it was a oh, pretty sure, good, yeah. passionate, exciting commercial. Eventually it got to be a Cadillac, um, which again, whether we're in favor of that or not, okay, it was a cute commercial, all the things. So I think that the next commercial is really going to be about dorm rooms, although you certainly can't park a car. Maybe that's, you know, will be the, the mini, the mini commercial counter to that, however that would be. But, uh, but you, you really built this out of, I'm assuming your parents' house while you were in high school. You moved it to the dorm room, then you head to Rutgers. You trained yourself in a lot of this, um, web uh, through webinars, etc. Where did you get your to be a full stack engineer? Did that come at Brandeis? Did that come in Rutgers? Is that something that you do out of college? How does that work? Sure. So I don't um, typically write code. I'm more on the design end right now. But yeah, where does that all come from? Uh, <laughs> it's it's funny. It's kind of from both sides of the uh, seat. Webinars. That's that's really. I'm a huge evangelist for webinars, which uh, for those who aren't familiar are online interactive seminars. Um, I learned a lot of what I know from marketers who would give these. And, and the reason they give these webinars is to establish thought leadership, uh, really for branding and, and to generate, I guess, sales somewhere down the line, but really to generate branding and thought leadership in an industry. So okay. we would watch webinars all the time, and that's, that's really how we learned a lot of what we know. And, you know, we began hosting webinars as well. 
we realized bottlenecks in the system, and, and that's how we kind of came up with a solution to solve them. But we're really, at heart, evangelists of webinars and evangelists of thought leadership and, and that sort of field. So if you want to learn something, you certainly can. You just have to... You know, you have to, you have to put in the time. How does one find webinars? You know, it, it's sort of online. You can you can look for stuff, but how do you find the good versus the bad? Or is that trial and error? Can you give some advice to the audience out there? <laughs> That's funny. That's actually why we built Publish because we had some difficulty finding webinars. You know, quality webinars online. We found that it was a really fragmented industry, despite enormous double digit growth year after year for for over a decade. Uh, so that's that's actually originally why we built Publish, and we've since you know shifted a little bit and developed the the product a little bit further out. But yeah, it, it's tough. It's it's definitely tough. Um, I'm not going to lie and pretend that college was my number one priority. So <laughs> it, this was not a part time thing for me. This was really a full time thing, and this was really you know day in day out researching, reading, uh, and I watched a lot of bad webinars. It's not like I found great webinars immediately. I wasted a lot of time on, on garbage. Okay, before we get to Hublished, and I want, want you to be able to explain and articulate to the audience and, and where worthwhile to, to sort of push uh, anybody out there who could use Hublished to be able to come and find you, I wanted to remind the audience that you are listening to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, I'm your host, R.J. Lightstone. You can listen to us on jmintheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, much more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. We're here on with Nis Frome, who is a full-stack marketer, um, the co-founder and COO of a company called Hublished. And, and I want you to tell us about Hublished, but I also you, – you mentioned something, and I'd like to – discuss it if you're comfortable sort of to a degree at length because i think that every or most startup companies have this vision of where they're going and there's that they call it a pivotal time but where they make a pivot where where what they had thought of isn't really the same as what they anticipated it being and they shift and sort of what that experience is like both emotionally intellectually especially working with partners and funders etc how you're able to gauge what that shift is like. I'm not sure if that question is a little bit too vague for you, but you commented on that, and I don't think our audience necessarily appreciates what that is like at a startup company. Sure. No, I definitely I definitely would love to go further into that question. So I would say uh, pivoting, and I'll get to what that is momentarily, was really the second most difficult thing we had to do as a startup. So for those who aren't familiar, pivoting is kind of the role. In today's day and age, startups are very you know, very lean. We can rely on technology, a lot, a lot of times free technology to build our startup. We don't need a lot of capital. So what we do is we don't write business plans. We don't spend the time doing all the research. We, we build something small, we test it, and then we improve. Uh, and we, we have done that throughout our process of building Publish for over a year. But we came to a point where it really made sense to kind of shift the product a lot uh, and, I'll, and I'll explain this pretty simply. Basically, what we did was we built a destination site for webinars. Like you said earlier, where do you find good, where do you find bad webinars? So that's what we did. We built a destination site for webinars. And what we found was that companies that joined our site and started adding their webinars were more interested in the tools we offered them and the, uh, the design and all that. They wanted to be able to embed their webinars back on their site. Uh, so to embed the library and destination sites that we created, Centrally, they wanted to build it for their own sites, to have their own central repositories of their content, right? And 
I was I was actually the one who really didn't want to do this. For me, pivoting was kind of an admission to saying I was wrong. Uh, and for a while, you know, we had won competitions with this idea. We had really a lot of traction with this idea. So I, w- I was really opposed to shifting. And what we did was we went back to the initial investor who, who kind of jump-started our company. Uh, he's, he's a managing director at First Mark Capital. And we spoke to him about, you know, how ridiculous this was. We couldn't possibly pivot. You know, that was an admission that we were going nowhere, that, that the startup that we, you know, was our brainchild was wrong. And he said, of course not. You, you, that's not the way to think about it. Uh, your goal is to increase access to webinars. And if this is how you do it, then this is how you do it. You, you have a vision, but you have to be flexible in how you reach that vision. And every good startup goes through this. So that's that was kind of the experience we had, and that was a really big learning experience. Uh, and understanding to separate the difference between a vision and a strategy of how to get there. Uh, your vision can be more stable and solid, but you need to be flexible with how you reach that vision. Okay, so we, we need to watch the goal. We need to find out how, how did you get this person as sort of your funder and advisor, because I think the biggest concern, I don't know if it's the biggest concern, but one of the major concerns that people have is when they pivot, exactly what you said is I'm admitting I'm wrong or, or maybe something was, didn't work out the way I wanted it to. How do you, how do you get people to buy in to, they're really investing in you and your ability to adjust to the market as opposed to they're buying into a specific idea? Well, that, that's essentially what we realized. We thought we were going to be letting a lot of people down because they invested in the idea. And we realized that, no, really, they invested in us and our ability to be flexible in a very, very fast-moving market. So we met this original investor. Actually, he taught a class at NYU. So my co-founder, Ben, uh, Ben Bordak, attends NYU and was in this class called Ready, Fire, Aim. And okay. that, that goes back to what I was saying before, that you, you should fire before you aim and then test and then improve. Uh, so we were in this class where the the teacher was this uh, you know is this very renowned investor. He invested in Pinterest, uh, Shopify, a lot of other big names in the New York startup scene, and taught this class. And he would invest his salary into the winning business that came out of the class. And we actually initially lost, uh, which was really frustrating for us. We were focusing on our web design company at the time. Uh, we didn't focus fully on published. It was just an idea we had. We were sitting on it. Uh, we were playing around with it, and he was not happy with that at all. And, and we actually lost because we didn't go ahead and start this company, and he really wanted us to just fire, right? So after we lost, you know, we, we've been driven by doubt a lot of the time. I always say that, that we'll stop having luck uh, when we run out of doubters. That's kind of what fuels us a lot. Okay. So, he, you know, he doubted us, and we said, you know what, we're going to go ahead and do this. So we raised money from friends and family. We built out a prototype. We brought it back to him 12 months later, 10 to 12 months later. And he said, you know what, I'm going to invest in you guys as well. And and that's what happened. It was really, you know, a total turnaround uh, in the story. So you, you you were fueled by the fact that he said you can't do it. You went up and you did do it. And, uh, and uh, you were able to demonstrate, did he care about the funding that you had brought in? Was that necessary or that was for him to fund it? Or was that necessarily only so you can develop, I guess, what they call a minimum viable product? Uh, I think he really cared about the minimum viable product, however we got there. Uh, okay. For us, you know, we did need some money to get there, but if we had done it without money, it would have been equally impressive to him. Got it. And and what happened to sort of your main thrust of the company as you made this pivot? Did you leave that behind or did you allow that to keep 
going on? Meaning, how, how did you divide your time in order to make that happen? Sure. So we actually had one large project left uh, to do from the web design company. I don't know if you're familiar with Chabad's Children of Chernobyl organization. Yes, of course. Yes, that was their website was uh, our last project, really. Uh, <laughs> so we just had to finish that up. But then, yeah, we still maintain the clients we have. You know, we still maintain their sites. But beyond that, it's it's been unpublished. Okay, so so I don't know whether we can extrapolate a lesson from there. You'll I'll, I'll leave it to you to be able to uh, explain to the audience. Was this something that uh, that you were? You know, you have cash flow. You have customers coming in. I can see a tremendous inclination or temptation to go ahead and say, well, let's keep doing this, but let's put 30%, 40% of our energy into, uh, into, you know, published. Uh, but let's not lose what, what was already working. You had been doing this since you were 17. You were making money. Um, you know, and, and you pivoted away from something that you knew was working to something that you knew could be incrementally more significant. But, uh, you know, just curious in terms of your thoughts about that. Sure. I mean, that that was the reason we didn't start Hublished. Um, this goes back to, you know, I said earlier that pivoting was the second most difficult thing we did. Uh, the first most difficult thing we did was kind of building the confidence to start this in the first place and to say, all right, I mean, we were making money, more money than we probably should have been making at 18, 19 years old. Uh, we were managing big projects, and we were learning a lot. So it was tough to really say, okay, you know, Hublished has a brighter future than this. Hublished is scalable. Hublished is, you know, what I think any college, uh, any college student who's interested in technology, it would, it would be their dream come true, right? So, right. you know, that was, that's what we realized. We, we realized at a certain point that no matter what happens, even if it fails, this experience is really a dream come true. And uh, I would hate, you know, in 10 years, sitting in, a, in an office cube to look back and say, I didn't give this everything. So that, that's kind of the way you have to look at it. Okay, so the key was when when you pick something, you have to invest in, and you have to invest not only your money, but you have to invest your time and your focus. So even if the other component was cash flowing and moving along nicely, if it was taking away from your full ability to to explore published in a meaningful way, did you guys set a timeline? If we make it eighteen months and we haven't generated revenue or eight days, whatever that would be, that you know we're going to go back to what we were doing. Did, was that ever uh, you know a, a something that you contemplated? Uh, yeah, actually, many times. Uh, so we like to joke, there hasn't been a day since we started this company that we didn't think we'd fail. So <laughs> we, it, it's always, it's always an uphill battle. It's really, uh, what my partner likes to say is that every, you know, the one yes out of 50 no's makes it worth getting another 50 no's. Um, so yeah, we, I mean, we set deadlines, we missed all of them, and then yeah, <laughs> somehow we're still around and we're still making traction and we're still making progress. So, you know, I could say it'll be another month, it'll be another three months. If we don't reach this milestone, I'll quit. But I know in the end that we'll get close enough that I'll, I'll just say, no, let's keep doing this. Let's keep plugging away. It's, so it's, so, you gotta have so far, I've enjoyed very much everything that you've said and, and how you've articulated it. Uh, it's, I know that you've enjoyed what's it called, uh, being participants in classes. I don't know if you give webinars, but I'd certainly <laughs> be interested in, in hearing a, a little bit in terms of what you're saying. You, you have the, sure. again, the right articulation of that, but you just said you set deadlines, you miss the deadlines, and you keep going anyways. Um, so it, yeah. ex- explain what that means. That means it's 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 not a science; it's an art. Uh, that's one way to look at it. Uh, I think it's it's really a combination of the two. In terms of setting deadlines, listen, you know, when you're in a startup, we have nearly no budget. We're bootstrapping, right? right. So there's only so much you control, so much control you have over 
you know, selling over the market. You do your best, but in the end of the day, you're dealing with giants in the industry who are much larger than you. So it's a matter of you need to look. This this is my rule of thumb. I need to be able to say that myself six months younger was an idiot. That that's my goal. I want to always say that six months ago I knew nothing. And as long as I feel like I'm still learning and smarter than I was six months ago, I keep moving. And that that's really the only milestone I care about. So as long as we're still learning about the industry, the product is still building, and we're still making progress, then we keep going. So you're not setting deadlines. What you're doing is you're setting milestones or, or benchmarks where you have an opportunity to, you know, you have an opportunity to go ahead and to reevaluate. It's a, it's a constantly evaluative process. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that 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 is interesting, and and I think that again, the reason why I'm, I'm I'm focusing on these questions is I think that what you are doing and what I'm learning from you, and hopefully the audience is learning from you, is really a different way to think, and uh, and I think it's critical. It's not the same way one would approach uh, accounting or law or medicine or real estate or what have you. Um, I think it really is something that uh, that uh, requires a different way of thinking, and maybe it's necessary in a lot of those industries as well in terms of the new economy. Okay, so we've spoken a lot about culture. We've spoken a lot about uh, thought process. Tell us a little bit about where Hublished is today and where you'd like to see it. Again, knowing that you're not a strict deadline guy, but where you'd like to see it, let, let's call it in a year and three years. Sure. Sure. So right now, uh, we knew our biggest weakness. We, we, we released this, this shifted product about a month and a half ago, and we knew our biggest weakness would be selling in all this. You know, we could, we could build a product. You know, you've seen kids who are in, in high school now building amazing products. Uh, so we knew we could do that. We knew we could create webinars. We could create content. All that we could do. But selling uh, was kind of our Achilles heel in mm-hmm. that, you know, we're 21 and we're in a B2B industry, right? right. So, you know, our Rolodex is, is not impressive to say the just, least, just, right? Just for the audience that's out there, B2B, explain just what your sure. company is vis-a-vis B2B as opposed to B2C or whatever else it would be, please. Sure, yeah. So B2B is just business to business. It means we sell to other businesses. We don't sell to consumers. So while consumers may not care that they're buying a product from 21-year-olds, they did it with, you know, Facebook and thousands of other products. Uh, businesses are a little bit different. Uh, what matters a lot more is rapport uh, and experience and relationships that we didn't really have. So we had to really start from scratch. A lot of startups in our sort of industry uh, are, are founded by VPs uh, of marketing, VPs of sales, and, and come out and already have 50 clients ready to buy day one. Right, so we didn't have that, and that was we knew going to be our biggest weakness. So right now, what we're doing is we're working on selling this product. We have a lot of actually, we built a great pipeline uh, pretty quickly, uh, and a few really solid partnerships. So that that's what when I talk about, you know, we would have liked to see sales at a certain point. At uh, right now, it's not at that point. But on the other hand, we didn't expect to have partnerships in place, and, and we have those. And I think the the future is brighter than we would have expected now. But we haven't made as much, I would say, sales traction as we had expected. So that's when, when I talk about, you know, always reevaluating based on milestones. That's, that's where you have to be flexible. Okay. So, yeah, in a year, I mean, I would love to be able, you know, obviously to get our next round of funding, uh, and really be on the road to profitability. I mean, that's our long-term goal is to be a sustainable business. If that means an exit, if that means you know, whatever else, that's the goal is to be profitable. And I think we, we would love to be able to do that within three years. Interesting. Okay, so within three years, you'd like to be there. And uh, and if you haven't seen Hublished online, so I'm going to encourage all of our audience to go out there. Hublished 
is H-U-B-L-I-S-H-E-D.com, Hublished.com. And, uh, and again, well, for a consumer, uh, individually, this might not be for you. Uh, many of our audience or much of our audience, you know, has, uh, experience both with being on the receiving end of professional development webinars, etc. And I have to imagine that many of us out there are on the giving end, uh, from that perspective. And, and just looking at the site, first of all, I love the, I love the one long pages as opposed to the click throughs. Uh, so it's, it's a, it's a gorgeous site. Um, sec- secondly, I think it's, uh, you know, if I would have gotten this and not known what it does, it does exactly what a website needs to do, which it tells you incredibly quickly um, and and very clearly in terms of how this would be useful. For those people listening out there and aren't exactly positive what's doing with Hublished, so please check out Hublished.com. We've had the chance to listen to Nis Frome here on Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, here it's Arye Lightstone as your host. You can listen to us on jmintheam.org or nachamsegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, much more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Uh, Nis, first of all, it's been awesome having you on. We we anxiously anticipate following Hublished and, and see where you guys go, hopefully for a very successful exit um, and uh, and for great mentoring of other people who have experienced what you've done, if you can leave our audience with uh, a couple words of, uh, we'll say, advice or experience in terms of, uh, you know, uh, what what are the critical one, two, or three things that you need if you're about to venture off into the startup world? Thanks, of course, and again, thanks for having me. I do appreciate that. Uh, so my my few tips of advice are one, uh, TechCrunch isn't real. So it's great to read stories in TechCrunch and to think that it's that easy and every startup gets funded. That's not the case. It just isn't. Uh, TechCrunch covers the one in 100 companies. So first, it, the, the key for us was bringing our expectations down to reality. Okay. So, you know, it, it's going to be a grind. And if you're not prepared for the grind, it's not right. But if you are prepared for the grind, that leads me to my second point here, which is get out of the classroom. Uh, the classroom will teach you a lot, and it's great, and it's really important. Uh, especially for some of the other professions you mentioned, you know, medical, accounting, of course, that's where you learn it. But if you're interested in entrepreneurship, even if that's your major and that's your, your area of study, you need to get out of the classroom. Um, all the time I see people trying to disrupt an industry they, they haven't been in, they haven't interned in, they don't know anything about. Uh, and it's really unlikely you're going to come into an industry that, you know, millions of other people are in and you have a solution that they don't. So really get out of the classroom, get in the industry you love, whether it's fashion or for us, marketing and technology, get into that industry. So those are really my two pieces of advice, really, okay. and, especially and, for college and, students. And what I, what I learned from you uh, here, in addition to the fact, again, you know, uh, uh, fresh off the press and, and lots of other pretty cool things that, that you've done, you took a passion for writing um, and, and you changed that in terms of being able to the same – net result of a great writer getting a message out, getting a thought out, creating thought leadership, and you really turned it into into hopefully what will be a lucrative company, but you were able to pivot those same skills and put it into something else that you can you can have a passion. The other thing is I know when you sent me your bio, I used the word obsession when you spoke to our audience, use the word passion. And uh and uh, to see people excited about what they do uh, is awesome. Because because uh, who wants to do something that they're not excited about? So uh, so we walked away <laughs> with that and, and really appreciate your time today, Ness. Best of luck, of course, and uh, and hopefully you'll keep uh, you'll keep in touch. Thanks, we'll do. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Have a great day. 
wanted to remind our audience that you are listening to Tech Talk. We just had the opportunity to hear from Nis Frome from a great company called Hublish. Check them out at hublished.com. You're listening to us on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am your host, Arye Lightstone. You can listen to us on jmandtheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Uh, it is, to me, always exciting to be able to hear from young, excited, and passionate entrepreneurs. And the first question that sort of comes to mind is, is where does that passion and excitement go? Does that exist only, you know, with 21 and 22 and 23 year olds or does that carry on? Is it industry related? Is there excitement? So, so NIST certainly articulated to us that it's not all fun and games. It's not all, um, what you read about in TechCrunch or, or what have you, successful exits or phenomenal funding or whatever else you think it's going to be. Uh, but it's hard work and you got to put your nose uh, to the grindstone and you got to make it happen and work, etc. It isn't an easy path. I'd even argue that from a financial compensation perspective, that's a much longer term um, window. Um, and I think that's important to, to keep that in mind. Uh, as we get to just to, to finish that idea, uh, spending time last weekend with John Medved, uh, here's a fellow who's certainly not 22 or 23 years old, uh, but speaks with the same passion and enthusiasm and excitement uh, that we just heard from Miss. And I anticipate from us hearing from Trace Cohen. I think Trace is here. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. Like to welcome you to Tech Talk here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Our audience, we are. Privileged and it's really a pleasure to have Trace Cohen on with us this morning. Trace is a serial entrepreneur in New York City and is the president and co-founder of Launch It, a new self-publishing platform for PR professionals, agencies, and brands to launch and socialize everything new. Prior to that, Trace was a senior vice president at iInfluence, oh, sorry, Influence PR. Uh, where he created understanding for a complex world. We want to find out more about that. He specializes in strategic PR for tech companies looking to develop their communications, branding, and outreach strategies to connect with their communities and customers with transparency. Trace is also a graduate of the Martin J. Whitman School of Management at Syracuse University. Uh, frankly, a disappointment to me in terms of their performance in this year's March Madness pool. With a double major in entrepreneurship and marketing, I don't believe Trace was directly responsible for that. He is one of the original co-founders and former <laughs> CMOs of BrandYourself.com, which helps students and young professionals manage their reputation and personal brands online. And uh, I, I, you know, just reading the bio, I'm, I'm, I'm dizzy uh, and excited. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Trace, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here, and uh, I love to talk tech. This is, uh, it, it certainly sounds that you have the experience to go ahead and to talk tech. Um, so first tell us, what happened to Syracuse in the tournament this year? Uh, I guess after you go kind of perfect, 25 or no, it's hard to uh, sustain that. Everybody knows. Um, uh, it's depressing to talk about. We got in some foul trouble towards the end. We lost kind of our fluidness, and uh, we lost a team that we shouldn't. Well, we lost to the worst teams in the ACC, so at yeah. least we had a big bang coming out um, first year. We were number one at some point, so it's hard to stay at the top. Everyone's gunning for you, and when you're in front, you always take the arrows in the back, so it was still an impressive season, just uh, it's hard to finish sometimes. 
Well, I see from being able to even spin that uh, disappointing end into a positive conclusion, uh, the PR component uh, coming out. Um, we don't so, spin in PR. PR is always just the truth well told. Oh, very good. <laughs> I like that. Say that once more for the audience. No spin in PR. We never lie. It's always just the truth well told. Well told. I like that. All right, so Trace, so uh, so give, give us give us the Trace story uh, well told. How do you become a serial entrepreneur? So uh, I just like to preface that everybody thinks in this kind of tech, we're not in the bubble in this tech kind of fascination that an entrepreneur is someone who has to start a company. And I think that's somewhat relative uh, to the notion that most people have, but I think it's also just more of a lifestyle uh, and just living your life entrepreneurially, doing certain things, enjoying your passions. But uh, I went to Syracuse specifically for their entrepreneurship program. Uh, as my parents are both entrepreneurs, they started a company together and sold it together. So I guess it's somewhat in my blood. Uh, and I also have a unique name, uh, if you haven't noticed. And uh, my parents did PR, and they named me after a computer. So I guess <laughs> I had no choice to be, uh, to be but a tech entrepreneur. Right. This is and, tr- uh, truly, truly a family <laughs> tradition, I guess. So, <laughs> which, uh, which is certainly fascinating. But your your parents started a company together. Yes. How they, cool is uh, that? Started and built uh, one of the largest tech PR agencies, launching a whole host of, uh, I guess, the best tech products like the CD. They would introduce the Walkman, Doom, one of the original uh, best FPSs in history. So um, that is kind of my upbringing, being in the PR world. Right. So you, so you, and interesting, cause we, I, I began the show, I don't know if you were listening at the beginning, but, uh, began the show talking about how the fact that the PR world is really a, um, you know, a button up traditional, um, you know, fifties and older type of, uh, experience wins the day. Uh, but, uh, but you grew up not only in the PR world, which would, which would make sense, but also in, in the technology PR world, which to me is fascinating. I, I didn't even think that that industry was that old, frankly. Yeah, it wasn't. They were uh, the first tech PR firm to specialize in the kind of tech boom that came out of the 70s, 80s, and ultimately, I guess, ended and began anew uh, in the 90s. But, uh, yeah, unless you do PR, you're not really sure what it is. So growing up, I was always watching them launch new product services. I was in a few of the commercials, which was cool. But until uh, I started doing PR with my father when I graduated, you don't really know or truly understand what PR is, that most of the stories you see, uh, the headlines you read, are because of a PR professional pitching the media, crafting a story with them, and getting the information out there for the benefit of their client. Uh, and so, as you mentioned, right, there hasn't really been much change in the PR industry uh, from at least a tech perspective. I would say uh, the major shift has just been social media. So uh, not to date my parents, but when they did PR, it was still stuffing press kits, with, which people still do today, but they had to email it. Uh, well, they had to, uh, sorry, um, mail it, not email. And they For the audience that's it. out there that's not familiar <laughs> with mail, uh, those right. people who come and knock on your door on occasion and put stuff through the mail slot, that's what that is, right, Trace? Yeah, that's stuff you get in the mail that you kind of rip open and then look at it and throw it away. Got it. Our audience trends younger, so I just wanted to make sure that they were aware of some of the techno- technology terms that you were using. Yeah, it's uh, it's an old term, but it's still uh, a big industry. And uh, they couldn't track the news. They used to have a lot of time to work with the reporters, sit down with them, get to know them, 
and there wasn't this whole social media boom where the media was the de facto gatekeeper, and they still are. Uh, definitely, uh, there's some disintermediation with social media and blogging and all these other uh, social networks, but they were good at it, and they started uh, with tech, and it just grew. So they definitely took a part uh, of a big trend. That's incredible. So, uh, and this wasn't at all what I had any intention of speaking about. But can you just share with the audience briefly what it's like to grow? I mean, we speak to lots of entrepreneurs. I've spoken to them about being a parent, being a spouse, being everything else like that. But what, what's it like being the kid of a of a two parent um, technology entrepreneurship family? I've endured it. I have no complaints. Uh, I've only walked down my parents once in twenty five years. So. I think that's uh, pretty good. And it was my dad as we worked together. We just had a, an argument over our new company. So, no, I've never walked down them. They always encourage us uh, to follow our passions. And uh, one thing that uh, my father said early on is you have to start a company by 26. It was okay. kind of just uh, a time period where you can graduate college, you can figure out what you want to do, find your passion, but try and start a company. Uh, you're young. And you should have the opportunity to try that. Uh, it's great for business, for sales, for marketing, getting uh, the operation side of it, something that a normal job uh, wouldn't really empower you to do. And luckily, uh, I was fortunate enough to start my first company at 18 uh, as a sophomore in my dorm room at Syracuse. So I got that out of the way pretty early. And uh, the first company My parents was, were asking me to make my bed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you, were, you, were told to, you were told to start a company. Okay, that's interesting. That's, uh, one second, I, I want to focus on one other thing, and then we got to get to what, you, what, what launch it is. But, uh, but yeah. I'm, you can continue, obviously, with this thing. But did your parents care less about uh, SATs, APs, stuff like that, because they had a different perspective? No, they still definitely cared about it. They wanted us to get into uh, a good school and still do academics. Um, because when someone tells you at, like, 15, 16, 17, 18, that you have to start a company by 26, you really have no perspective what that means. Okay. So based on that, uh, I worked with my parents, and I applied to Syracuse. Uh, they had one of the only entrepreneurial programs in the country sure. uh, next to, like, Baxton. Uh, I applied to Miami, Indiana, the business schools, which had uh, entrepreneurial tracks. And uh, went to Syracuse. My dad was an alumna from there. And uh, had a great basketball team, so my mom wants to get into sports, and I have the entrepreneurial program. So it was a win-win-win for uh, all of us. If they could have moved, actually, the Syracuse campus to Florida, then it would have been a win-win-win-win. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> Definitely uh, to the cold school over a warm school, but I don't remember being cold, so that's okay. okay. It's the right it's the right, right place to be. Okay. Um, and uh, And so you started your first company at 18. What was that? Yeah, it was called uh, BrandYourself.com. I started it with uh, my roommate at the time who uh, was trying to get a job, and if you Googled his name, uh, unfortunately, uh, he had bad SEO, and Inmates.com came up. And so uh, everyone thought he was a parolee and never got back to him. So that was a little bit of an issue. Sure. Um, if you Googled me at the time, uh, there was an obscene blogger who also, if you can imagine, has my name. So when you Googled me in 2008, uh, they thought I was her because there were no pictures, so I thought that was this weird blogger, and uh -huh. no one got back to me. So we started a company called Brand Yourself, controlling Google results for our friends who, when you graduate college, every resume is the same. But if you Google somebody, which everybody will do, then you can see someone's being proactive, if they're using social media, if they're engaging, and if they really care about their industry. 
Interesting. Okay. So this was a this was a company that came about out of necessity. Your your roommate was struggling to find a, a position. He felt that his online profile was holding him back and and this was before to the best of my knowledge in 08 that that there were significant companies doing brand uh uh, repair or, or reputation repair, if you will. Yeah, exactly. It was definitely uh, right at the uh, the beginning of it, the genesis. So uh, we definitely got a lot of traction for a lot of interest, and uh, it's still growing today. So it's still a big trend that people are still uh, building and taking advantage of. Sure. And where did you go from there? Uh, when I graduated, um, I exited the company during uh, one of the rounds and uh, moved to New York City to uh, work with my father doing tech PR. Uh, he got back into the business to uh, teach me about it, and that led to the company launch it, based on what you said before, that PR is still the same as it was when my parents did it. A little bit of the tech has changed, but there are no new PR platforms. Uh, so I had to learn the industry. I love tech and startups, so we got to work with a bunch of funded startups. Uh, my father and I, we invest in a lot of startups in New York City. And then uh, after about two and a half years of doing uh, tech PR, we uh, launched LaunchIt uh, on May 9th, 2012. Okay. So tell us about LaunchIt, please. So we uh, in the PR industry send out a lot of news, and it gets stuck in email limbo. You use the wire. You uh, have it documented in PDFs, but you can't find all that news online. And most of the news you read uh, on major publications or websites or blogs is only about 1% of all the news that's being announced. So LaunchIt is a free PR publishing platform for anybody, companies, agencies, brands, to publish and launch everything new, whether it's a press release, a blog post, thought leadership, a new hire, a new announcement. Uh, we wanted to create a frictionless environment so that you can publish anything new, essentially creating the largest searchable database of everything new. Wow. So, so – Explain what the technology, or, or I'll call it the back end, that had to go into that. Is that algorithm? Meaning, how, how do you even? I understand the need for it. How do you get into even creating that? Yeah, we uh, built it. Uh, it took about a year or so to do, and uh, it's a CMS built on Drupal, uh, which handles the platform uh, really well and allows us to do syndications and fun stuff. But uh, most news is somewhat stagnant, or it's just um, based on chronological order. So we have a top 10 based on how many views the stories get, how many comments they get, and how many times they have um, shares across the different social networks. So definitely a community aspect to it. And then you can filter it through all the news based on uh, what your interests are. If you just want to see comments, how many times it is viewed, or social uh, shares to see if it's going viral. So anybody can publish, but it's deemed uh, worthy by the community. Okay, so it basically you find what uh, what your colleagues or whoever else it would be would help you find. So it's as opposed to being pushed what somebody else wants to put in front of you, it, it's almost uh, self-sorting. Is that, I don't know if that's the co- correct word. As PR, yeah, you would definitely. have a better way to phrase it. <laughs> it's uh, all crowdsourced news. Uh, we publish only a little news. Almost all the news is published by the brands and agencies that we work and partner with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's community curated. So based on what the community likes, uh, that will be the most popular news for a certain amount of time. Okay, before we get further into Launch It, and you should check it out online right now, Launch, 
dot it launch it launch dot it uh, we have the pleasure of speaking with trace Cohn here on the nachum siegel network our show is called tech talk i am your host rea lightstone you can listen to us on jm in the org or nachum com. as always we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at adorama camera more than just a camera store, please check them out online at Adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street here in New York City. So we're talking to Trace Cohen, a serial entrepreneur. It seems like it's 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 not only in his blood but in his DNA. He's been starting companies since he was 18, which makes him a little bit advanced because his parents didn't tell him he needed to start one until he was 26, uh, mostly based around PR, brand, and tech. Um, Trace, can you speak for a minute, please, uh, about whether and, and I'm, I'm here on your website now. And if you haven't checked it out, everybody online again, launch.it, launch it, go check it out. Um, do you deal with more or, or, or less tech companies as well? It seems to be everything that you're doing would have value to even traditional retailers and traditional uh, businesses. Is there value to that? Is that the right direction, the wrong direction? So tech. Uh, definitely is heavy on the site, and that's our background, passion, and kind of our forte, working with tech startups and living and breathing the tech startup world in New York City, San Francisco, Boston, where all of our friends are. But uh, as we found early on, there are definitely companies out there who want to publish news. But mm-hmm. uh, we have this mentality of uh, why do people rob banks? Because that's where the money is. So uh, early on, we went to shows and conferences to get news, because of the same mentality, why do people go to shows? Because that's where the news is. Right. So uh, we have a heavy focus definitely on tech, but we work now, uh, and our focus is really on major trade shows and conferences. And we have a lot of uh, conference partners outside of tech that we're getting a lot of news from. So we're definitely broader, uh, broadening the horizon in terms of the news we can offer to our readers. Well, that's interesting. So, so the the key is, and this is a question that that I get asked all the time. I do go to a bunch of conferences, and the question is, what do you need to go to a conference for? Can't you, you know, uh, most things you can almost find online or or the write ups or whatever else it would be. So my first answer is always networking. Um, mm-hmm. But but you would argue that if that's my one A, one B would be that uh, that it's you know it, it's different than hearing the news from somebody than being part of the news being created. I, I don't know if that's well articulated or not, but that's what I'm feeling speaking with you. Yeah, so face to face events are great, and we don't want to take away from that. Uh, definitely, networking is one of the largest reasons why people go to shows. The other is to find out what's new. And uh, having been in the industry for a few years now. It's not that easy to do. Uh, if you walk around and meet every exhibitor, you'll get their paper pamphlets, their handouts, their brochures, but most of that news isn't online for the attendee or the media to find, share, and discover it. So we actually build digital media centers for the biggest shows in the world. Uh, our client, uh, CES, the biggest tech show, uh, the number one show in the country, we work with them to get their exhibitor news online months before the show starts so that you can educate the attendees, you can send news out to the media from a searchable and visual uh, news site that we can embed into your conference website so people go to your brand to find your news, to share it, driving more traffic and awareness. And uh, it works across all the industries. We call ourselves Switzerland. So uh, at the end of the day, when people ask what business we're in, we actually say we're in the container business. We, like Facebook, Pinterest, and uh, Twitter, basically create no content, but we create the container where people put their information and then others can come find and share it. 
Okay, so that's really interesting. How do you find, and, and maybe this is where the partnership with your father comes in, and maybe not. How do you how do you get because it's also a B two B to a great degree in terms of mm-hmm. your marketing. How do you where does your credibility come from in order to be able to do that? Yeah, so for the PR side, uh, definitely my father's credibility in the industry, uh, having built his agency, got us a foot in the door uh, early on in the PR agencies. But uh, in the event space, we said from a start perspective, let's just go to the biggest show. Uh, I've been going to CES for seven years now, my father for 35 years, and we approached them and said, you have so much news, 3,200 exhibitors, 20,000 new products being announced between all of them. Let's just help you get this news online under your brand and share it. And they have an amazing team over there who saw the potential of it, of uh, being more social, getting the news online, utilizing it to further engage on the different platforms, but also being able to support all of their exhibitors, which is almost impossible to do across 3,200 of them. Uh, so that definitely gave us credibility early on. And then we got the second biggest show. Um, called Con Expo, Con Ag, which took place this uh, past March, and uh, 3. Uh, 2.3 million square feet, 2,400 exhibitors in the construction space, an industry I'm not really an expert in, but we were able to generate over 330 stories from their exhibitors getting news online that has never seen the Internet before. Uh, and their team fully embraced it. They understood that they want to be in the publishing industry, they have so much news that they can crowdsource that this really puts them in the media space, not competitive with the trade media, but more of a complement and supplement to, to, uh, to the B2B area, that they can now support all of their exhibitors and all of their news without really doing more work because the exhibitors publish the news themselves. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, to, I know it's a to, lot to take here. You know, I'm saying to me, it's it, to me, it's interesting because it, it it almost sounds when you describe it that way that that how did how did this not get done by these major players? To me, it would it would almost make sense that okay, it's for the mid size uh, or maybe even the smaller conferences where that would be a necessity or a value add. To me, with the CES or the construction place not doing that, it sounds like you guys found a tremendous sweet spot. I just wouldn't have anticipated that sweet spot being there. Yeah, uh, we definitely thought there would be more competition. Definitely from a startup perspective, you should never say we don't have any competition. Sure. Uh, but there really is no direct competitor that builds a news platform for major trade shows and conferences. It's usually a tab on the conference website with static news. And we want to make it dynamic. My background in SEO, uh, reputation management, we want to get these companies online and support them because once the news is online, there's so many possibilities of what you can do. Uh, and so, uh, talking about sweet spots, we also work with, uh, the Sweet and Snacks Expo, the largest candy show I call it in the country. What, what's food, the, what's the name of the expo? The Sweet and Snacks Expo. Okay, <laughs> yeah, who doesn't want to be there, yeah. <laughs> exactly, and, uh, they're so much fun to work with because they are so visual. So tech, you get pictures of like hardware, software, partnership, construction, you get the hydraulics, the pistons, the cranes, and for candy and snacks, you get the beef jerky, the, uh, new candies, the bite-sized ones, the healthy ones, the nuts and bars, and it just is so visual when you get to these industries that text doesn't really uh, justify uh, the amazing things that they're doing. Right. I guess maybe now is the not right time to ask you about the new Butterfinger. Um, <laughs> that a combination Butterfinger and Reese's Pieces or something like that. I think that was a Super Bowl commercial. Yeah. Yeah. 
hopefully they have it uh, at the show. If you can imagine, I actually don't have a sweet tooth, so I eat a lot of the beef jerky and all the health bars when I go, but I do dabble, so uh, hopefully that will be at the show. Uh, okay, I, I can only hope so. That. I would, that, that would be exciting. <laughs> so, that, so that is a that is a third show that uh, that you guys have um, or are providing your service to. Again, I want to remind the audience that uh, that we're listening here to Trace Cohn, uh, one of the founders of Launch It. Check out their website at launch.it. And uh, in terms of the press and the technology, and, and really, it seems like uh, taking uh, value from from these shows and and the world of technology, where there is so much information, but making that information uh, usable, uh, relevant, and valuable is uh, is certainly an invaluable tool uh, that Trace and his company Launch It are bringing to the table. What's it like working with your father? It's amazing. Uh... I respect him so much as he's been working longer than I've been alive, so he's just better than me at almost everything. And it's not an angry thing. It's just I learned so much from him, definitely in the tech world, and I think in every industry outside of tech, you need a mentor. And I think and we agree that the word mentor is usually bastardized. When someone's like, oh, I mentor these kids. They uh, have a meeting once a month, but a real mentor is someone who cares about you, someone not from a professional standpoint, want you to do well, but also personally, if you have some family issues, some girlfriend issues, some financial issues, they'll help you and they'll take care of you. So uh, that's what my father has been to me. Uh, since I graduated, we've been working together uh, really well since uh, the past four years of the agency we had together and uh, launch it. So uh, it's really good. I bring my digital kind of millennial perspective. He brings his fully experienced, p- driven PR industry and tech perspective so we complement each other really well that's awesome and it's got to be really special to be able to spend that type of uh quality professional time uh, not irregardless of him being your father but i'm saying with somebody that you have such tremendous respect for that's uh that's an exciting opportunity one not to be minimized and one also that you don't hear about that often in what we'll call tech startups yes uh there's a few of them but yeah we are two co-founders father and son team and we work really well with each other, especially like in meetings, because you can read each other based on what he says. I can kind of change what I'm going to say, and I can give him a look or kind of point to something. And there's a lot of intuitiveness that kind of goes to the territory as well. Sure. So in in just a couple minutes that we've got left, wanted to remind again everybody that we're listening to Trace Cohen here, founder uh, and partner with his father of Launch It. At, at some point in time down the road, maybe uh, maybe this summer, maybe around Father's Day, I wanted to have a father son, a uh, couple of father sons on who've done companies together. I think that's a it's a meaningful and exciting opportunity when it exists. You are listening to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host Ari Lightstone. You've been listening to us either on jmtheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. We'd like to thank our sponsors our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at Adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Trace, if you were to leave our audience with one or two things about being an entrepreneur um, that uh, that you think almost anybody can take home with them, either intellectually or perhaps even practically, what, what would they be? So I have two separate things I want to put out there. One from the people who want to be entrepreneurial, who are working in the quote-unquote Corporate jobs to the man. There's nothing wrong with that. You should not be ashamed at all if you have a good, steady job. But if you do have a passion, if you do see some type of opportunity at the job you're working in, don't go cold turkey and quit your job and pursue the company. Do it on the side as a hobby, as a project to see if it gets traction. And only when you have to quit your job to do
do full-time on your startup, that's the right point. I see so many people kind of quitting their jobs and trying to hit the ground running, and there really isn't much to do early on, or you'll kind of just be like, uh, I don't know what to do. So that's one thing I encourage people to do. Don't go whole therapy. Don't quit right away. Pursue it when you have to. Uh, from the other side, once you do have your company up and running, uh, it's all about hustle. Uh, there's too much of what we call passion or hopium, where you can be so amped up and so excited, full of energy to do your company, but it comes down to execution. So it really is the hustle, calling people, meeting people, following up with people. Everyone's busy. No one really is that mean in the industry, tech, or any entrepreneurial. Everybody wants to help as the rising tide rises over boats. But people are busy. Give them the benefit of the doubt that they didn't read your email, they read it, they didn't respond. Follow up. If someone doesn't want to work with you, hopefully they'll just say no and move on. But you just have to be driven and follow up with people and be somewhat relentless. Uh, not mean or brash, but if you need something, if you need to get in front of somebody, get an introduction, co-call them, comment on their blogs, tweet at them, retweet them, show them a little bit of love, and definitely try and deliver value uh, before you ask for value. That's awesome, and I think that's important. Deliver the value before you ask. Uh, the rising tide lifts all boats, and we have had the privilege and pleasure of having Trace Cohen on for the second half of our show. Trace, thank you. Uh, we wish you and your father launch it. Lots and lots of continued luck, and we look forward to hearing about uh, about how things continue to go, and best of luck, especially at the candy convention. <laughs> My pleasure. I'm looking uh, forward to the show, and this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. It's been another fun week here on Tech Talk with Ari Leitzer on the Nachum Siegel Network. One more shout-out to our sponsor, Adorama Camera. We look forward to speaking with you next week about all things tech and entrepreneurship. Thank you for listening to this week on Tech Talk. Have a great day.